0: Welcome to the Cup of Nurses Podcast. Hey
1: guys, welcome to Cup of Nurses Podcast, where your host Matt and Peter. What's up guys? Today we're going to dab a little bit into some current news. We're going to talk about the medical device industry, and we're going to touch upon patient centered care and how you should approach patients.
0: Because so, it's not only the patients, it has to be the holistic approach. Exactly. Which is um, being mindful of everything that's going on, like patient stress, um, their medications, polypharmacy, the interactions between the doctor, the education. What else am I missing in there? Well, empathy, empathy,
1: comfort, and coordination. But well, we'll start with uh, some healthcare news. So, medical device in the ind- industry in twenty eighteen, their revenue was one hundred eighty billion dollars. The United States is the biggest economy in this medical device industry. So we produce the most medical devices and we also use the most medical devices.
0: And a lot of and a lot of people don't know that these devices aren't tested on humans at all before yeah. they've even come to the market.
1: The crazy thing is one of the processes to get your device approved, you got to go through a 510 um, K process which basically sh- if you can prove that your device is just as good as the leading device in your sector your device will get approved without any kind of human testing. So if you can prove on animals that your device does what the current device does, then you can get it approved without any humans. You can just sent it out
0: to the market. And the trial the people that are getting trialed are the humans. So animals can't really tell us much about how we're gonna to react to these devices. Like the, um, we watched a documentary and like the uh, device called um Esher. That um, basically f- closes up, cr- creates inflammation in fallopian tubes, and is a uh, contraceptives. A lot of females didn't know that it's going to be a cascade of different um, effects, like um, stomach pain, abdominal pain. One of them had a hysterectomy because of it and couldn't have kids anymore. Yeah. And so
1: these, this Esher company hypothesized that their product is just as good as the contraceptives out there, but they have a different method of doing it and it's crazy because this was never tested on humans so i'm not even sure if it was tested on animals but they some way they were able to prove that it was just as effective as like oral contraceptives or any kind of other um, tubes type anything like that and they basically implant like a little wire that like matted cause inflammation in one of the ovaries and it just gets necrotic but it did work but it is, was associated with a lot of different symptoms so the inflammation was all in the abdomen. It inflamed the cervix, inflamed the uterus, inflamed all those female reproductive organs.
0: Not only that, but after the patients asked them, how can we remove this device, they never had an answer. So, so these devices that are implanted in females, they never gave the women the ability to take it out, which caused you know a lot of um, issues. And if we look at the stats, like in the past decade, medical devices um, were a result of 80,000... And over 1.5 million injuries in the past decade, leading to $8 billion in um, lawsuits.
1: Yeah, so 80,000 deaths and 1.5 million people injured.
0: With the loophole of not having human trials before yeah. being tested. Yeah, that's crazy. Th- that's, an, you- that's an industry that's not even made aware of to, like, the public. We yeah. always think about, like, oh, polypharmacy, pharmaceutical companies, but these guys are the real hitters here.
1: Yeah, you never hear about the medical device industry on the news or the new actual products out there or products are actually out there. You just you just hear about them getting done in the hospital. You don't really hear advertisements on them either. I've never seen an advertisement for a medical
0: device. Even, like, if you look at commercials, I feel like a lot of TV commercials have just um, advertisement of um, medicine, like the pills or have you know eloquist and blood thinner they never talk about devices which is interesting no yeah you don't see it at all do you think that's um illegal or there's something going on that you can't advertise on um, tv
1: no they probably just don't don't need to they probably make so much money through the insurance and, and through kickbacks and just in hospitals that they don't need to advertise like that they provide it straight to the practitioners
0: and the, the practitioners are the ones that are promoting this just like a yeah. tesla almost yeah. like tesla doesn't have any marketing they just sell like a well-rounded product.
1: Yeah, they have marketing and stuff. But so like the marketing that they do, these device industries, they market it to physician. They don't market to to general public because you don't buy that. We buy that product, but we get that product inserted into us. So we don't decide what product goes in our body.
0: So it's like, a, it's like a pacemaker. Like you can't shop around for what kind of pacemaker you want to choose. The doctor that is recommending you the device will um, recommend the brand yep. in a way. Yep, and he's gonna,
1: he puts that in his whole life because that's what's paying him money.
0: And I wonder how many like different pacemaker brands there are. I have no idea. That'd be a good reference a good thing to the show. Up. Yeah.
1: That'd be cool. But that ties into, fairly nicely, to our um, nursing uh, discussion for today. So we're going to talk about patient-centered care. And there's four things that we see are most important to patient-centered care. That's respect, coordination, information, and empathy
0: and we're not realizing that all of these aspects in patient-centered care it's um, directly impacting like outcome and satisfaction and as we know that these satisfaction scores which we always get we always get tested on always have meetings about they directly impact the money that the hospital gets reimbursed at, which kind of pays and funds us right so patient-centered care equals great satisfaction great outcomes which equals money in the hospital's pockets and we get employed and keep our job
1: yeah there is a different kinds of um like care um services or different ways of providing care but the patient-centered care approach has been proven to be the most effective out of all of them because it's the more of a patient-centered approach so you kind of put the patient first
0: is this like a model that we're following is yeah. this known by who's um who's on that like i have no idea who created model, model. Okay. but just
1: one of the models and that's the one i found that correlates most with the best benefits
0: okay so it's like florence nightingale stuff
1: i mean it's probably opening up more than a window
0: yeah so i think I wouldn't think respect would be number one, so that's an interesting way to start the topic of patient-centered care. So, what is like, what is um respect entail?
1: Respect could dive down deep, or it could be something simple, like dietary preferences. Like some people don't eat pork or beef for religious reasons, or because they choose not to, or vegetarians. The best one of the best ways to make them feel more relaxed and less stressed is you actually give them food that they'll actually physically eat if they don't like to that kind of food or they're allergic or they don't, just don't like bananas, don't give them any bananas. At least they could enjoy the meal a little bit more. Because hospital food isn't good. It sucks. So if you get them at least of something what they want, you know they'll feel a little bit more control as well.
0: I've had it in eighth grade and I can't remember the uh, way I ate the, or joined the meal. But I do know that sometimes patients do say that the food isn't the best. Or like, oh, this is too dry. So unfortunately, always people have a bias the way they like to do things. But the hospital should be very um, conscious of the way they create their menus to have like a full spectrum of Every, yeah. everything that um, a person should eat, like no pork or it has to be kosher. I think probably being vegan right now, I wonder if our hospital actually attains to um, any no vegan meals. I don't think I've ever had a vegan patient. Personally. Because they're probably healthy and they're away yeah. from the hospital.
1: Yeah, maybe. But because it was kind of new, so we'll see. We'll see how things are more down like because. Remember, we take care of people that are older. So they have different values and different customs than what we have now. So the diet that ate is completely different with the diet that we're currently eating.
0: So maybe in 20, 30 years, we're going to start seeing vegans being in the hospital. I'm sure, yeah. And that might be an issue. But And I wonder what kind of health care problems they're going to have. Right. And then we're going to start connecting the dots and say, hey, being on a vegan diet is, you know, causing A, B, and C. Yeah.
1: And then, you know, the keto diet causes this and this. And you compare and you combine those two diets and then you find like the... So we intermittent in
0: fast. Do you think we're going to end up in the hospital? At some point, probably. But what do you think people that intermittent fast would come into the hospital for?
1: Mm, I don't know. Probably when they're older, the same thing we see nowadays. So probably cardiac disease, whatever, is kind of more built in your genetics. Because we're kind of shaping, now that we're becoming more, more modern and more in touch with ourselves and what we do, um, we eat healthier, you know, we exercise, and it's going to prolong our life. But we also have our genetics, which is going to have some kind of effect on your health. And add genetics and an old age, and you probably have a slew problem. So, I'm guessing it's probably be some of a cardiac disease.
0: Can be cardiac, and maybe it could be a peaceful death for yeah. all that we know because we've been eating better. But we're, we also have to realize that specific. <coughs> no, or cancer, me. even too. Yeah. Cancer. Specific mm-hmm. foods are turning on and off these good and bad genes. So, we've been, for the longest time, we've been realizing that genetics are the issue. We also have to come into factor that food is turning on and off specific genes. That are contributing more to a specific type of cancer. Yeah, gotta say about myself. So, what else is there under like respect? Let's say?
1: respect. Like even if you think about it, um, like I had a Buddhist patient a few months ago, and he wanted to hum and go through um, like his prayer ritual, and he wanted me to leave him alone, so I just you know left him alone, give him that like fifteen minutes or ten minutes to himself. And That's I've heard somebody respect.
0: even I heard even somebody say they want to pray with me. Yeah. But the craziest of them all would be like end of life stuff. Sometimes people have interesting needs and wants. One of them was a patient um, where the the father wanted to take the patient home after he was um, he expired. He died, and I think that's completely legal. Like you cannot just send a body home to a patient's family so they could do their um, rituals on. That's I don't know how the uh, funeral homes work, but the hospital the hospital will not release the body to a home. Yeah, no way.
1: That's really interesting, though. Like, I've never had anybody ask me to take the body home. That's something you would have to respectfully decline, even though you're supposed to kind of do what they want. You cannot physically do that. So I, I, I decline, froze I froze up. Really? I'm like,
0: um, let me ask my chargers because I have yeah. no idea.
1: Yeah, respectfully decline and, and just move on, I guess, unfortunately.
0: And that that was probably the interesting end-of-life mm. question that I...
1: Didn't you have a family, like, sing at one time?
0: Oh, that happens no, all the time. Else. Yeah, really? well, there's like 16 people deep yeah. in there, and they're it's doing a cool. little like um, prayer and to whoever their um, higher being is. That's and it's interesting. Some people ask for like a special oil that the priest will provide. I think the Polish culture is really yeah, big on like that, anointing, and anointing or whatever it's called. Anointments, yeah. So they yeah. provide that. Probably simple things, and there's also hospice services that'll provide a great deal of end of life yeah, care have, if you get accustomed to it. That
1: yeah. and there's priests there and. Uh, Pastors and whoever, um, different religions, you know, they could call somebody and somebody will come in. Or somebody from, like, your religious church could come too, you know?
0: I've had that. I've had, like, a rabbi that came mm-hmm. in, and he was with the patient for, like, two, three days. And he would sit down with the family and give them all these lessons of hardship and how to get over things. So that the hospital could provide you with, like, end-of-life issues or yeah. end-of-life um, services, but more than likely, you'll get, like, different end-of-life services from, like, your um, religion facilities. And that's where you kind of see the taste and culture of things and what different people do.
1: Yeah. So another way you want to – another one of the things with patient-centered care is coordination. You want to coordinate consults. You want to let the patient know that, hey, endocrine's going gonna to see you tomorrow. The physician's going to round in the morning. Let's say if it's blood pressure or not blood pressure, but let's say blood sugar is not is an issue for this patient, you want the attending know, be like, hey, can you throw an endocrine consult? Because it's all just it's better as the patient. Everyone kind of knows what's going on. Now the cardiologist knows that he's been having um, hyper, hyperglycemia, and now the attending knows he's been having hyperglycemia, and everybody knows he's been having hyperglycemia.
0: And no one does, does anything about mm-hmm. it.
1: But that's why you want to recommend, hey, can we put endocrine on? It's been two days. This guy's like chilling in the 200s.
0: And that's where, like, you know how we talked about nursing burnout. If you're not burnt out, you're aware of these things and you help coordinate the care because a lot of people don't realize that nurses are literally like, they're molding the whole entire care, the transition of care. Like just like you said, like if there's physical abuse on that patient, we're the ones that call follow up with that. If there's someone homeless, we should put in a console for social services and that's and the social services will deal with that or try to find housing for the patient. Just like you said about consults, it's, it's never bad to ask, like, your primary physician, hey, I think, you know, this is going on, or the patient is on this much narcotics, narcos, maybe let's put a pain specialist in. I, I don't think I ever asked for one, but I'll do it for, like, a cardiologist. Like, hey, this guy's having PVCs, or he has a pacemaker. Maybe he should get it, it get checked out. It's not pacing, and the physician will do that.
1: Yeah, the consults are there. You know, use them when, when you need them. It's not a big deal to consult somebody. You would also want to co- like coordinate with your patient as well. So what I like doing when I come in is I like up some time frames and the schedules. Be like, hey, my name is Peter. I'll be a nurse for tonight. Tell him, you know, tell him, hello, how his day has been going. And tell him you're going to be back like in an hour. Tell him you're going to be back at 9 and 10 to do your assessment and give him his meds. And then you're going to come back at 11 and shoot numbers. And then you'll try and leave him alone for most of the night. And you're going to come back at, again, at 4 in the morning to draw some blood. So, so they kind of have things to look forward to.
0: And, and I have feel like, a baseline of yeah, the
1: shift. They kind of know how your next 12, 12 hours are going to go. That provides, I feel like, like a lot of comfort. And I think it also decreases the amount of time they're on the call late. Because if it's 9 o'clock and they're kind of you know comfortable, but you know, but they know you're going to come in at 10, then they might just wait in that hour and might just address the issue when you're already there. That way you don't press the call
0: light. That I completely agree with that one. Just like when you tell them about things that are going to happen or who are on consults, some people come into the hospital with a complete delusion. They're like, um, "I don't know what's going to happen," like, or "I don't know who that was." Hmm. Sometimes I like to encourage um, patients to like to have like a little notebook, write down all the questions you have. Or, okay, you're in the ICU because you have high sugar. You're gonna have an intensivist. You can have a primary that's gonna see you, and then you're gonna have like endocrine that's gonna see you. If you have questions for any specific doctor, like, where can I get my farm? Ph- where can I get my medications? Should I adjust my uh, blood pressure med? write those questions down then you know nine o'clock comes or the doctors are rounding they could address all those questions because they forget
1: yeah that goes into very well or that goes very well into our next point the fourth one which is education and information people want to be informed like you said a lot of times these people are there for the first time and maybe they had like a traumatic car accident just a stroke a heart attack or something and that's their first time ever in a hospital and now they just got excavated you know they're incoherent, they don't know what's going on, and they're in a completely different place than they were when they f- first passed out. That's very scary. Even when they're their the you still want to talk to them a little bit. Maybe they're brain dead. Maybe not. You can't always tell for sure, so you just want to keep a little bit informed, just say hello, just make your presence known, and just talk to
0: them sometimes. You, you always should say things, even like to the patients that are in the ICU sedated or intubated on life support. It doesn't hurt to explain things to them because I'm sure maybe they still have a sense of hearing, and mentally, they're going to have some kind of like hope or less anxiety, less fear to help them transition to everything that's going on.
1: Yeah, like especially with the patient intubated. So if you're going to go in and turn them and do their dressing, don't just walk in there, put the lights on, turn them to do their dressing. You want to walk in, make sure they know that you're there. So acknowledge them, be like, hey, we're going to turn you on on your right side now. We're going to change the dressing now. It's going to hurt a little bit. We've got to wash it out. It's going to be a few minutes. Then do it.
0: I feel like we also, as like healthcare as a whole, we do a bad job educating the patient. So let's just say the patient has hypertension. They come in and they leave with a blood pressure pill. They come to the doctors with a blood pressure pill. They have no idea about the side effects of the pill or why they have hypertension. Yeah, they might know that they just get lightheaded. Yeah, or the risk factors for why they have hypertension or how to stop hypertension, how to like change lifestyle ways to stop that. They don't get any of that education. They're just like, yeah, I'm on this pill. And they continue doing what they do, and that bothers the heck out of me because we're not teaching the American public how to properly live healthy. Right. We just push a pill. The doctors busy, stressed out with a bunch of people. The nurses are stressed out and busy, and that's freaking healthcare in a way. Especially during do, with, especially
1: with like during emer- emergency situations. Like, say you got to throw somebody on a BiPAP. And He's been gasping for air. He's been fine all day. He's been gasping for air. Now you're throwing a big mask on him. Like imagine how that feels, and he doesn't know what's going on. Everyone's rushing.
0: What's a BiPAP for those that don't know? A BiPAP
1: is is a machine that you. It's like what well, sort a mask, and it's a machine that pushes air
0: in your mouth. Positive pressure it's to like open up the alveoli.
1: so it makes you breathe better. It makes your oxygen saturation go up. It expands your lungs. A lot of times, people get acidotic or they don't respiratory rest. That's probably the first step, and then you go into intubation. That doesn't work.
0: And the story, so you're throwing a patient on BiPAP.
1: Yeah, and they don't know what's going on. So you want to kind of explain what you're doing. And to form it as you go because that's when you imagine you getting just a mask put over your head. That's scary, man. Like you've just been gasping for air, you feel like you're dying, like your chest is caving in. Now we're putting a mask on you. And even when you're intubating somebody, you want to tell them, hey, we're going to intubate, it's popping before you put the sedation in the paralytic if you need it.
0: And that's another thing when it comes to like, um, maybe not, com- yeah, let's, let's transition to the next one. So, on top of information, in order to have total patient-centered uh, care, you have to have comfort and um, empathy. And when it comes to comfort, it could be little things like fear or anxiety. Like, And that's not only the patient, it's the family. It has to be holistic. So maybe the family's freaking out that the patient's about to have the surgery and you have to calm the patient or the family, tell them that everything's gonna be okay, this is the way that things are gonna be. And let's just say they have a procedure, ask them, do you have all your questions answered? If they don't, Make sure you get the doctor on the phone, or before the, they go down, someone um, takes care of everything. So they go in to that procedure with some hope. Yeah. they should. They should. You should
1: always be giving hope and putting people through a hopeful situations. You always want to say that you know this procedure is going to go well. There's gonna, a gray um, get, area there. There's a super gray area. You can't
0: give false hope.
1: The last thing you want to say to somebody hey is like hey I don't know if you're going to make it. The physicians could say that they they. The physician tell the patient what are the risk factors, what are the chances of them coming out, why would what would make it be successful, how would it be unsuccessful. And obviously if the patient agrees, to so that procedure or treatment, you don't want to say, say, you know, help you make it. They were decided on, on doing this. And by you saying, Hey, help you make it, you could show that you expect a negative outcome. You can just be like, Hey, everything's gonna go go great. You read over all the information, you feel good about this, we feel good about this, we have great physicians, it'll be okay.
0: But sometimes there's like this gray area where you personally know that that patient is not in good shape. And the family asks you, do you see a lot of these patients? And what usually happens? Yeah. And sometimes you want to bite your lip and you don't want to lie to these people. But you don't want to tell them positive things because I hate giving false hope. You're not supposed to tell people, you know what? John is doing a great job. He'll make it. He's a fighter. Those are very positive and influential things you want to tell people. And I want to tell those people that. At the same time, I say, hey, John is really, really sick, and we're just going to have to play it by hour and play it by day and see where he goes. His oxygen is improving, but be, within an hour, things could change, and he could be going up on his P-Ban, his O2, when, I, when they're on life support. And I just I kind of give him this 50-50%. When I'm in there, I'm always positive, make, try to make him laugh and doing all these good things. But I always let them know that the outcome, he's in bad shape. Because that's just, a, you know, the, the patient population I deal with at work. Yeah.
1: That's a very good approach. I think everyone should take that kind of approach to making it 50-50. You know, don't make it very positive if you know it's not that positive. And don't make it super negative just because you don't like the guy. You or it's a make it 50-50. You know? right. be, be reasonable with these people. Yeah.
0: And if it's like, you know, like it's a heart attack and the, he had a stroke and he got stented you know post you know um MI and he's doing okay there's room to give false i mean not false p- positive mm-hmm. hope or he's in it he's going to make it he's fine you know what um kelly why don't you just go go home and rest your father's fine here your husband you know yeah so, and so- not,
1: like reinforce like hey i'll be here all night so if anything changes I'll, I'll call if you guys ever get worried to have a bedroom. dream, feel free to call you, call me anytime.
0: And that's yeah. that trust thing also. So there's those family members that are exhausted from what's going on with the family. He might have came in three times in the last month. And you as a nurse, when you show that confidence, that patient, you know, that family's going to give trust and you're going to go home. Or they're going to go home, sorry. Yeah. So it's really important to create comfort for the patient and be empathetic.
1: Yeah, most definitely. Yeah, yeah. You re- reinforce the patient and the family as well. But you also want to address pain. I feel like pain sometimes we overlook. Like we hear on the news that, hey, people are overdosing on pain medication. We're giving out too much pain medication. But some people are generally in pain and ask for that pain medication because they need it. Like with the intubated patients, um, their blood pressure tends to go up with pain. You might want to give, you know, a norico or some morphine before you give the hydrolysine. might... A lot, be a lot more effective and might even stabilize throughout the whole night instead of pushing hydrology every four hours or every two hours or whenever you need to.
0: And, and that's crazy to me that where we work currently in Oakland, they don't give the intubated patients like a, <clears throat> a propofol-fentanyl mix, which is crazy because usually propofol is a sedative and a the patient, but you also have to give an analgesic for pain. And usually fentanyl is a good combo for that. And these patients on vents... Are on propofol and they're hypertensive and i was giving hydralazine to lower bp but what if it's a pain psychological or no, physiological response to pain is blood pressure and we're not properly treating that
1: yeah i'm really curious on how or the percentage of successful intubations this hospital in oakland has compared to the hospitals that we work in because we saw these patients here currently that are in no sedation and no analgesia and they're just chilling on the the an ET yeah,
0: it's very interesting. I'm not sure what the stats are. Do you think when it comes to outcomes, like physically or emotionally, they could be scarred from what they experienced because they weren't they weren't probably sedated?
1: Um. Well, right now I'm thinking about physically, like how successful is each intubation when you're completely off any any sedation or any kind of um, like drips like that under when you're intubated compared to being on all that stuff in Chicago and then getting like weaned off it. A few hours before you get extubated. I wonder whose stats are better. But it, it's pretty cool when they bring out the emotional stability and, like, the emotional aspect of it because I don't really think about, like, the mental stuff that will go through when you're fully aware of what's going on and you have a tube down your throat. That's, that's like, probably some intense feelings. I don't know how much of, like, emotional, mental scarring that could happen, that could cause on somebody. You,
0: you probably can because some of these people that are let just say, we can't take the tube out because... Their lung sounds are bad, but they could communicate with us, and they're alert and oriented. And they could—you tell them to squeeze, and they squeeze their hands. And we have this like communication board, and they could—they could circle like if they're angry, if they're sad, if they're happy, if they need to be repositioned, if they're uncomfortable, if they're in pain. And sometimes you're communicating with these people, and they try to scribble something while they're, you know, on life support. And sometimes they—it's—it's it's frustrating for them. Cause they verbally try to lip something to you and you're just like, I'm sorry. I don't understand. That must be so frustrating for them. That's very intense. And they're damn, that they must be emotionally scarred.
1: Right. Compared to somebody that's completely out until like a few minutes until extubation.
0: And sometimes like they, they scribble so bad. I'm just like, I don't understand what you're writing. I am so sorry. And sometimes I, I leave the room and I'm, and we never establish any kind of um, communication. And I'm just like, dang it, I wish I understood her. And you can't. And it's frustrating I wish you could help,
1: you. But, you, but you can't because you don't know how. You, know, you don't know what they want. Yeah, I'm really curious on those stats, though. I'm really curious how this hospital's stats com- extubation stats compared to ours.
0: What else do you think, like, patient-centered care is, is important? Because we talk about the patient a lot, but the family is a whole other thing. Because I feel like sometimes the family could be more overbearing on you than the patient himself.
1: Yeah, um, my perspective on that is you always shut out focus on that patient and then the family's background. So if the patient you know, doesn't want pain medication and the family's pushing pain medication, you can just go with what the patient says. You know, They're grown adults. Unless you're working with peace, I'm not 100% sure how that would, that would work or any kind of infant. But if the patient says he's not in pain and the family's like, no, give him pain medication, give him pain medication, he's been taking it you know, for six months now, every four hours, he needs it every four hours. And the patient's like, no, I'm fine, I'm okay. Somebody's family tend to push tasks on you. I think that they want, or did, or they think are important on you to for you to do compared to what you know is important and what you want to do for the patient and what you have to do for the patient. Yeah,
0: and another thing is is let's just say you have like 10, 10 family members, they don't coordinate properly too. And you you tell one family member what's going on and what's going to happen in the next like few hours, and then the another family member asks the same question. So it's really we would really appreciate as nurses if. You have a big family, there has to be one designated person that or maybe two that received the information and then they could relay it back to the family.
1: Yeah. Or if they have a password and somebody does not know that they're in the hospital and you can't reveal any information about that patient. That's very overbearing. Like, you know, or if one of Yeah, it's pretty crazy, man. Like what if like somebody like it's like your sister didn't want you to know her medical and that What's happens on? all the
0: time, and yes. it blows my no And she gives you a
1: password, and you're trying to call. What the hell's going on? You are like, I can't get any information. And she's like, "Sorry, you don't have a password. I can't give you any information."
0: I had a, fa- I had a, um, family. I had a patient in the ICU intubated, and the power of attorney that overlooked the care was uh, the brother, and he and the sister got into were in a fight, so there's there was a restraining order. Regarding the the brother and the sister and, and she couldn't come visit her own mother because their brother had a restraining order and he said no one She she can't see him. No way. And if let's just say the daughter were to come We couldn't do anything. We just had to call police and they had to figure it out regarding the restraining order and really stuff. Like yeah. that just messed up the end of life. Like there's these kind of situations.
1: That is pretty crazy Wow, that that would be so hard imagine him always being there just so she can't see him yeah. or she can't see your mom. It's
0: messed up so, so, and it's passed yeah. along and we as nurses are unfortunately, you know, helpless in the situation. We can't do anything because this is something that's been going on for a while yeah. and we're just treating the patient and the family part is just something that's out of our hands. It's interesting
1: to see all the family dynamics going on. A lot of times it's kind of sketchy, kind of sad. And you can tell where it's dysfunctional. Yeah. It's sad. It's very, yeah, it's sad. It's like, Dude, like, this guy's at the hospital. Like, can you just agree on something? You know, it's all be adults
0: here. Yeah. Uh, speaking of messed up stories, there was one time there was a family that couldn't decide on what to do. And they had a Disney vacation planned. So while the mother was intubated on life support, that family was in freaking Florida, Disney, um, doing their vacation, deciding what to do with the mother. And that patient is laying there for like four or five ni- nights. Wow. Like, come on. And that's that's this functionality at its greatest. It's like, what the heck? You got this you got this patient that remember healthcare could do a lot of life-saving things, which is keeping this lady alive. You keep alive forever if you wanted to. Exactly. And the family can't make a decision and it's not being pushed properly. And you're letting this patient suffer. She's suffering. What is her quality of life right now? And some of these patients that you know that will just never make it are still being kept down because of family issues family conflict and just past things that get brought up and not only is death an emotional thing all that conflict together is just a freaking spaghetti or crap man
1: yeah and you can't get involved you can't get involved and if you get too involved you know you gotta take it back home but you can't do anything
0: the only thing we could do is just be an advocate to we a could, patient exactly that's all, that's all we could do during the forest you
1: know the points of the patient well, that was a pretty good episode you wanna Touch on anything else?
0: I think we're pretty good with 30 minutes in, guys. If you guys ha- ever have any comments, concerns about what we do, what you would like to hear from us, give us like a drop-down. Give us a comment, email, and we'll try to get your questions um, filled in.
1: Yeah. So we touched up on some patient-centered care that revolves around comfort, empathy, respect, information. Um, and we also touched up a little bit on the healthcare industry of the medical device companies
0: yeah so the people that are nur- the the viewers that are nurses guys take this into consideration maybe you could improve your nursing and the people that are non-nurses just think about the way healthcare works the responsibility of a nurse and the next time in the hospital just know the questions to ask or what to expect in order to make your hospital stay a little bit better even though it sucks yep and Thanks. we don't like you see there but if you're here and if you're there just make the best of it. Respect the nurses. We're everywhere. And we are everywhere. We're watching. We're like the little elves on the the, the house during DeSantis. Oh for you. Know, sure. coming the elves. Said <laughs> something. <laughs> for sure. Alright guys. I, see you guys next week. Keep it to with Oakland.